Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. As I'm proclaiming the gospel, I'm thinking, man, it's getting pretty hazy up here. What's going on? I'm like, I forgot to incense the gospel. Man, E was on it, I forgot. All right, well, that's how it goes. <laughs> like, what did you go? Oh, jeez. Oh, man. So, friends, good morning and Merry Christmas. It's good to be together with all of you this morning. I agree. Amen. So every person, every person's got a story of their first crush. Every person, including priests. And I'm going to tell you that story this morning. It's my Christmas gift to you. So there I was, sixth grade, looking real suave, all right? I was what they used to call husky before that became offensive. Husky Patrick, sixth grade, the girl I had a crush on, we'll call her Juliet, all right? Which makes me... There you go. All right. Thanks for playing. All right. So Juliet was a, she was in my class. She was adorable. She was a very pretty girl. I thought she was awesome. And man, I had a crush on Juliet. I thought she was wonderful. And so I was too nervous to, you know, ask her to be my girlfriend. So I began what I called reconnaissance. Some people might call it stalking. (laughs) I just call it doing my research, right? So I had a little spiral notebook I would jot down little things that I would observe, again, about Juliet, things that she liked. Like, I noticed that she liked breadsticks for lunch. Write that down in the notebook, right? I noticed that she had an older sister and a younger sister. Wrote that down in the notebook. I remember hearing that she went to Sanibel Island for spring break. Wrote that down in the notebook, right? Again, not stalking, research. All right, lest you want to judge me, all right? So there, the propitious moment came in study hall one day where I was sitting there and I was like, I think today's going to be the day. So I grabbed a piece of paper out of my notebook, ripped it out, wrote down my note, Juliet, will you be my girlfriend? And I made a little box here and a little box here. I wrote yes and no under each of the boxes and I said, check yes or check no. I know the suspense is killing you. You want to know what happens. Folded up the piece of paper like a little paper football, sent it down through the desks during study hall, right? That's how we used to pass the notes, right? Before cell phones and messaging, right? So pass it down, and I see her. She gets it. I see her unfolding it. And my heart right now is like, right in my chest. I see her unfold the note. see her look up at me. She grabs a pencil, makes a check mark, folds it back up, and sends it back in my direction. Folks, she checked yes, all right? I know, I know. Things, it didn't obviously work out between me and Juliet. And uh, all the better for it, I suppose. <laughs> so here's the deal, right? I remember, so I remember thinking, right, I can learn a lot about her by observing her, right? And I did, I learned a lot of facts about her, but it wasn't until we started dating, which in sixth grade, it just meant you sat next to each other at lunch and we held hands and that was pretty much about it. But there were things that I didn't know about her that came to light in the course of our short, you know, three month romance, right? 
And uh, things that I didn't know that I couldn't have known by just observing her, things like her favorite color, right, or her favorite flower, or her favorite gymnast, like things that I didn't know just by observing. That's how it works, right? There's a lot you can know about a person by observing them, but to know the person, they have to reveal themselves. They have to share themselves. They have to open themselves up, right? They have to disclose themselves. Here's where it gets practical for our Christmas celebration today. Humanity, friends, humanity could, knew a lot about God by observation of the natural universe. There was no, every, any civilization that's left us a written record of its existence, there was no civilization that was atheistic in its core. Every civilization, every human culture that's left us a written record has been theistic in some element, right? It's hard not to be when you look up at the stars. Stunning and beautiful, right? There's something that moves the human heart to say, who made all this, right? Who made all this? You can know a lot about humanity. You can know a lot about God by observing the things he made. Humanity did. Just look at the Greeks, look at the Romans, look at the philosophers, Aristotle, all of those folks, right? Aristotle knowing that, that God was this unmoved mover, the first efficient cause, all of those things. But again, to know somebody, that person has to speak, has to reveal himself. Even that's true of God. This is the story of God in the Old Testament, progressively, slowly revealing himself to a people called Israel. And it begins very small. It begins first with Noah, a revelation of God. Then it begins with Abram and Abraham, and then to Moses and David and the prophets. God is progressively, all throughout the Old Testament, revealing more and more and more of who he is. This is who I am, right? So we heard in the second reading from Hebrews, it says, In times past, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Partial and various ways. But then it says, right, so he's speaking, he's revealing, he's disclosing. And why would he do this? Why would he do this? Because he is simply love. He's not loving, right? You and I, we're sometimes loving. God is love, right? As the New Testament says. And love, real love, is self-revelatory. It wants to be known by the beloved. Real love wants to disclose itself. It grows progressively more and more vulnerable. I want to pause on that word vulnerable. It comes from the Latin root vulnus, which means wound or woundable. To be vulnerable is to be woundable. To, be, to, to love is to become vulnerable. And to become vulnerable is to become woundable. Those of you who know, you've ever, if you've ever heard me preach, you've probably heard me quote C.S. Lewis, and I can't help doing it right now. One of my favorite lines from C.S. Lewis about love, he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And our God who is love, 
he's going to be he's self-revelatory. He's going to become vulnerable. Right? Those of you who are married, those of you who are dating anybody, think about your relationship, the history of you becoming more and more vulnerable with your spouse. Right, In that initial attraction, that initial encounter, you meet this other person, and over the course of the relationship, over the course of dating, right, you become more and more vulnerable, sharing more and more of your heart with this person. And you do that by letting them in. And you let them in by sharing the stuff of your interiority. And all that requires trust. So much trust. Because I could get hurt if I do that. If I share my heart with you, if I let you into those places, I could get hurt. God's self-revelation, it speaks to the fact that he is willing to become vulnerable, woundable for us. So much so that in the fullness of time, God did something that no one expected, no one saw it coming. Not the angels in heaven saw it coming, not the devils in hell saw it coming. The word becomes flesh. He becomes flesh. In these last days, Hebrew says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. John is telling us, right, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Look, we, we limited finite human creatures we use our words to express ourselves. I'm doing it right now. All of these interior thoughts I have, I'm using a ton of words to try and express them, to get them out of me and into you, right? And because we're limited, because we're finite, because we're human, we have to use a lot of words to express ourselves. You're probably thinking right now, like, yeah, Father, come on, like, let's, uh, coffee's on, right? Wind it up, right? You got another hour or so, you'll be fine, all right? But that's what we do, right? We use our words to express ourselves. But God isn't limited like we are. He's not a little limited, finite human creature like we are. Imagine if you could take all of your interiority and speak it, exteriorize it as one definitive, all-encompassing self-revelation, one great word. That's what God did. In Christmas, that's what he did in Jesus. The word, the meaning, the rationality, everything that is in God, that word is expressed and it's made flesh. It's as if you could take all of your interiority and express it in one single word. That's who Jesus is and it dwells among us. From the eternal silence of the Trinity, St. John of the Cross says, from the eternal silence of the Trinity, God spoke but one word and it's his son and it's flesh. Jesus Christ Jesus is, in his humanity, in his frailty, in all that he is, from the cradle to the cross, he is the message of God's heart. He's communicating, right? What is this word communicating? What is this message? What is it saying in the flesh? He's saying, like, look, like when God the all-powerful, when God the omniscient one, the one who hung every star in the sky, when he spoke his definitive word and revealed himself, he wrapped it in the most unexpected. He wrapped it in the smallest and weakest, the frailest of all flesh. I mean, just consider that. Like, we take it for granted. But when the Word was made flesh, He didn't enter into the body of, like, like, like Thor, you know? Like, He doesn't show up, like, ripped and muscly, right? He doesn't show up strong. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator just, like, zapped down into creation. He comes as a baby, Tiny, frail, helpless. What is that saying? It's God's heart saying, I am utterly 
given to you. I'm utterly vulnerable to you. I'm utterly exposed to you, right? In Christ, who is the utterly vulnerable one, we catch a glimpse of the madness of God's love. A madness, a folly, like there is literally nothing, he's saying, there's literally nothing I'm unwilling to do. There's no depth to which I'm willing to sink, that I'm unwilling to sink, in order to convince you that I'm not going to hurt you. He becomes so small in order to draw us close. Right? If he came as a lion, if he came as a powerful wind, as an earthquake, we would be terrified. But he comes as a newborn baby to convince us that he's trustworthy. So you ask the question, what is lying in the manger? We know it's a baby, but, but what is that baby? That baby is the heart of the Father given to you. It's the first Eucharist. The manger is the first patent. That's who he is. That's what he's doing. And the same Jesus, the same Jesus who was laid in that manger, who was adored by the shepherds, is given to us today. A son is given us, Isaiah says. And again, just as he did 2,000 years ago, he wraps himself in the most unexpected way in the tiny, fragile vulnerability of a host, a teeny piece of bread, which gets placed upon your hand. Friends, this Christmas Mass is not only where we commemorate his birth, this Mass is where we participate in this mystery. Friends, you are the shepherds. You're the shepherds. You've been invited to the cave, the stable. That's what this is. And the star that indicates his presence is right there, glowing above us. And the same Jesus who is tiny and fragile and vulnerable and hidden, that same Jesus, the entirety of the Father's heart, is going to be placed upon your hands. Right? And just like the shepherds who held him in adoration and unbelievable wonder, you will get to receive him, not just simply into your arms, but into your very body. The word is going to become flesh in you and tabernacle among us. That's what John's gospel literally says the word is made flesh and tabernacles among us friends the tabernacle that jesus most desires is not that one he's like that's great it's beautiful that's fine the tabernacle he desires to dwell in this christmas and every day is you it's you through his vulnerability, Christmas happens in us as we step forward, receive him. And all you got to do is say amen. So friends, Merry Christmas and let our hearts be overwhelmed again with the unbelievable revelation of our God who reveals himself not in might and majesty, but in lowliness, in littleness, in humility, in smallness, in vulnerability to enter into our hearts that he might tabernacle there now and into eternity. Amen.